And welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I will be going over another episode of ABC's Lost in order to see how that episode has fit into the big picture. Today I'll be covering episode 101, entitled Pilot Part 1. First of all, a little bit of background. Why do a Lost podcast now? I'm recording in January 2011. The show's been over for, you know, since, since May 2010. So why, why now? Basically, my hope is to take a close look uh, at the show to see how each episode holds up in comparison to the series as a whole now that we have all these answers. You know, we spent six seasons basically guessing uh, with the show, trying to figure out different odds and ends, looking at details. Now that we have all that, let's look back and see how not only the mysteries hold up and the twists and the turns, but also just to see how the how the show as a whole holds up. So first, let's start with a little uh, summary from Wikipedia about this episode, um, and it starts like this. Jack Shepard awakens laid on his back in the jungle, disoriented and battered and bruised, and notices for a fleeting moment a yellow Labrador retriever darting through the bamboo forest. He runs through the jungle vegetation and emerges onto the, to an expansive beach, where he is confronted by the carnage of the airplane crash of Oceanic Flight 815. Jack, a surgeon, Starts from one survivor to the next, organizing them, giving orders, and administering medical aid. In a small amount of time, he rescues a man pinned under wreckage, assists the pregnant Claire Littleton, and enlists Hugo Hur Hurley Reyes to watch her, and administers CPR to Rose Henderson, saving her life. After the initial shock of the crash passes, Jack retreats to a quiet area beyond the beach to, to tend to his own minor injuries in solitude, when he notices Kate Austin watching him. He asks for assistance, which she reluctantly gives by helping him suture a wound on his back. Hours later on the beach, while Kate curiously observes Jack tending to a critically injured, unconscious passenger, survivors Michael Dawson and his 10-year-old son, Walt Lloyd, discuss what to do with the bodies in the wreckage, while an uninterested James Sawyer Ford looks on. Saeed Jarrah organizes a cleanup crew while Hurley salvages meals from the plane's galley and distributes them to the passengers. Shannon Rutherford refuses chocolate offered by her brother Boone Carlisle, believing the rescue is imminent. That night, the peace in the camp is disturbed by loud roaring noises and crashing trees emanating from the nearby jungle. In the morning, Jack decides that the survivors need to send a distress signal to have any hope of rescue and he believes the best solution is to use the plane's transceiver, located in the cockpit of the plane. With Kate and Charlie Pace, Jack sets off into the jungle to find the cockpit. Inside, they find the pilot still in his seat. Charlie disappears into the bathroom, while Jack and Kate find the pilot awaking with a start from a concussion. He tells them that the plane had lost radio contact six hours after takeoff, where it turned back for Fiji and hit turbulence. 
The plane was a thousand miles off course when it crashed. Meanwhile, on the beach during the rainstorm, a group of survivors takes refuge in the wreckage. While huddled there, a Korean man, Jin Su Kwan, tells his wife, Sun Hwa Kwan, in Korean that she should remain close to him at all times. Even though most of the survivors have taken shelter, John Locke remains outside and sits alone in the rain on the beach with his arms outstretched and seems to enjoy the moment. Back in the plane's cockpit, the conversation is interrupted when the strange roaring noise that the group heard from the jungle the previous night returns. When the pilot investigates, he is seized by something outside, which drags him through the cockpit window, prompting the trio to, try to grab the transceiver and flee. During the escape, Charlie falls. Jack returns to help him, while terrified Kate runs on. After the monster disappears, Kate, Charlie, and Jack reunite and find the pilot's bloodied corpse suspended in a treetop. So I know that was a little bit of a lengthy uh, summary, but I certainly thought it was a good way to kind of refresh, uh, refresh everyone's memory, especially if you haven't rewatched the episode recently. Um, now we'll kind of get to the, the core of the podcast, uh, my thoughts and notes and reflections on, um, on this episode. Um, of course, it opens with the iconic shot of Jack's eye. Um, and as we know from the final episode, he's uh, awakening in the bamboo stand where he will eventually die. Um, there's just that absolutely fantastic tracking shot uh, of the wreckage on the beach, survivors, chaos, kind of, you know, the open to, the, uh, to seeing the crash. Um, I don't know how conscious the show was of being post 9-11. I mean, obviously it was shot, I imagine let's see, spring 2004, so it, it obviously, you know, was done after 9-11. I don't know how much they, you know, how much they took into making that, the pilot episode and, and being aware of 9-11. But certainly the plane, the chaos, the yelling, the debris really is so evocative uh, of 9-11. Um, and something that has continued to stick with me is the image of seeing Shannon just standing there and screaming. Uh, you know, to me, if there is any 9-11 connection, it just, you know, just brings me back to that day where it's just like, what in the world is going on? And, and Shannon is uh, reflecting that. Uh, I love, too, how the opening crash scene has cast members and extras mixed in. You know, at this point, you don't know who's who. Uh, the first time you see it, you might be able to imagine that the pregnant girl will be a character, but you know, the the blonde guy, the bald guy in the you know in the, in the hoodie, you know, these aren't people who are leaping out and and kind of having their moment in the first couple minutes as cast members. But um, you know, you look back and you see it's well made. It's interesting too, knowing that since Jack does not end up as a long term protector, he doesn't end up as a long term Jacob. He, in this initial crash scene, he really is very reactionary and almost borderline condescending to people. Um, one example is when uh, you know Boone is saying, "Oh, we should get a pen to do a tracheotomy." Um, you know, Jack's response is something like, "You know, yeah, you go do that." Um, very kind of condescending. I mean, I was never a huge Jack fan. I certainly was happy to see, uh, you know, in the series finale that he wasn't the long-term guy the long-term protector of the island, but I don't know. He's just, when you when you have a sense of him as a whole, he really doesn't come off great in this opening scene. Um, that said, you know, it's difficult to know exactly how much of the series was set in stone with this pilot episode. They did put the whole thing together from the initial story phases to writing to casting to the start of shooting in, I think, 11 weeks. So that's a incredibly short amount of time to put together 
you know, these two hours of TV, the first of which I'm covering now, you know, it's an incredibly short amount of time to put all that together. Um, it is interesting, though, to note that after Jack tells Hurley to stay with, with Claire, Hurley responds, I'm not going anywhere. You know, boy, does that kind of come back and reflect, well, now that we know how things end up, where Hurley does stay, you know, does spend this, you know, th this unknown amount of time as the island's protector. Um, also, just looking at this opening act, it really is a, uh, remarkable. In addition to introdu introducing us in some way to Jack and, uh, and Kate, we're also introduced to Sawyer and Hurley and Claire and Locke and Boone and Shannon and Saeed and Charlie, along with Michael and Son and Jin and Rose. It's just incredible. Again, every single person doesn't have this moment the way Jack does where someone says, what is your name? And they stop and turn around for a close-up and say, my name is Jack. You know, everyone doesn't get that, but certainly in this first act, it's, you know, sarcastic guy, it's Arab gentleman, it's British guy, it's pregnant girl, you, it's the Asian married couple. You have a sense of these people um, in, in at least a, a casual way. You get a sense very quickly of a whole, a whole uh, you know, whole lineup of people. Um, one little thing that I caught when um, Kate is sewing up Jack, she says, I might throw up on you. I had totally missed this as a lost line when J.J. Abrams reuse, reused it twice in the Star Trek movie. Um, I just got a big, big laugh rewatching uh, this episode of Lost, realizing that they turned it into, you know, a little, a little jokey line in Star Trek. So thumbs up to that. Another bonus was seeing this episode in widescreen HD. Uh, I watched the first three or four seasons on normal TV. I know that's you know a, a terribly sad thing, and I you know you must imagine that I'm living in some hovel you know where where it wasn't uh, a widescreen HD TV. But um, boy, it's been nice rewatching this episode and future episodes in its proper widescreen HD. Um, even back in 2004, watching these episodes, I was constantly aware that the characters weren't framed properly. It looked like their the close-ups were too close up. Um, seeing it in widescreen, you're able to see little details like when Kate's sewing up Jack. You're able to see Jack's tattoo with the five on it. Um, while he's telling the story about counting two five to get over uh, his fear. Now I know that is um, the actor's actual tattoo, but you know they had this idea to, in light of him telling the story of one two three four five you know they said hey keep it and we'll use it one day and obviously ends up in the rather lousy season three episode with uh Bai Ling but still you know it's treating this as it's not an actor who has a tattoo who they said you could keep treating it as here's the character to be able to see it in widescreen he's telling the story about one two three four five he has a tattoo with the number five on it very nice to see um Another long-term view that's interesting to see is how the debate of who will be the new Jacob during season six, I really feel like it really, really is echoed in these first episodes. Jack reacts. He patches. He fixes bodies. He's short-term. Solve the short-term problem. Hurley is doing things like distributing food. He gives a little extra to Claire, and he acts caringly. He's thinking a little long-term, um, and he's thinking kind of from the heart, whereas Jack is thinking from the mind. Um, by the way, to go back to talking about the, the first act, you know, normally for TV, the first act would be five to eight minutes, and with the first commercial break, um, this 
first act lasts a whopping 21 minutes and 15 seconds. It's a great way to keep people from watching without flipping. Um, I know when I first presented this show to my parents, I said, hey, let's, let's try this out. Um, stick with it through the first commercial break. And I knew that that was half the show. But, um, I mean, it's just a great little tactic. I know that J.J. Abrams had used that with the Super Bowl episode of Alias um, in order to keep that post-Super Bowl audience... I mean, it's like the same thing. The first half of the episode is before there's the first commercial break, and then they, you know, do a scene, take a commercial break, and that sort of thing. But um, anyhow, after the commercial break is just the fantastic introduction of Rose, along with that casual reference to her husband. She says that she'll talk to him when he gets back. And, you know, as we all know, that's a conversation that finally happens in the middle of the second season. Um, watching this pilot episode, watching her... You know, and kind of thinking of the different things ahead, getting to know all these characters, all the things going on in the first season. Thinking about the tail section, folks, Anna Lucia, Eckerl, Bernard, seems so very, very far off. Another benefit of this, uh, this uh, you know, the first flashback scene, here we are flashing back to right uh, before the crash and then at the crash, um, it's always just been so absolutely effective. And I think what really sells it is the stunt guy who gets thrown up to the ceiling. I and mean, that's just something that stuck with me from day one. Whenever I've seen that episode with somebody else for the first, you know, it's somebody else's first time to see it, that's kind of the, the ouch crunch kind of moment. Um, I mean, it really is just such an incredible uh, piled episode as a whole. Um, I know at the time it was the most expensive. I think as of you know, January 2011, it's now the second most expensive pilot behind the uh, rather slow and boring pilot for um, Boardwalk Empire, but fantastic pilot. Um, there's also another example when we kind of flash, you know, uh, flash back to the, or, you know, return to the beach. There's another example of Hurley thinking ahead. On day two, he's talking about what to do with the bodies in the fuselage, whereas Jack is off to find the plane's radio. You know, Jack is reacting. We have a crash. Let's find a solution to get us out of here. Hurley's thinking a little bit more long-term. What's the backup plan? If we don't get out of here, we have bodies. You know, they're going to start to rot, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Jack is fixing today's problem. Hurley is dealing with the problems down the road. And um, with Jack off to go find the radio, let's listen to a clip. Can I ask you something? Me? I'll be thrilled. I'm waiting. Have you ever met anywhere? No. That would be unlikely. Hmm. That looks familiar, though, right? Yeah. <sighs> can't quite place it. No, I can't. Yeah. I think I know. You do? You all, everybody! You all, everybody! You never heard that song? I've heard it. I just don't know what the That's hell That's us. Has... Drive shaft. Look, the ring. Second tour of Finland. You never heard of Drive Shaft? The band. Yeah, the band. You were in Drive Shaft. I am in Drive Shaft. I play bass. Serious? Yeah. Charlie. Track three, you know, I do backing vocals. Friend Beth would freak. She loves you guys. Yeah. Give me best number, I'll call her. I'd, I'd love to. Hey. Does she live near You ever heard of Drive Shaft? You all, everybody! You all, everybody! We gotta keep moving. Now, there's two reasons I played that clip, and the, the, the primary reason is from the moment the show started, I was a Charlie fan. Uh, in fact, I started watching Lost because 
Dominic Monaghan was in the show. I remember there was a lot of new shows coming on that year. Uh, I was interested in a bunch of stuff and kind of, you know, planning out the TV week uh, or whatever. And there's this show lost about a plane crash. And I had already decided, you know what, I'm going to pass on this show because, you know, the nights are already filled with, uh, you know, whatever else is playing TV-wise. But then I remember I was at a convenience store and there was a cover, I think it was of TV Guide, that had Jack, Kate, and Charlie on it. And I said, there's Dominic Monaghan. He's been so much fun in the Lord of the Rings movies and also the behind-the-scenes stuff, the commentary tracks and whatnot for Lord of the Rings. He's been so entertaining. Let me let me give the show a try. So that's the reason why, you know, back September 2004, I'm watching this show. Um, in addition to, you know, my love for the Charlie character and this kind of wacky introduction of him as the, the rocker and singing the song and whatnot – it's a delightful scene. It's fun. You're getting to know these characters, and what's Jack's response? You know, whatever. Let's keep moving. We have a, you know, we have a, a job to do. No need to focus on that. So, just kind of wonderfully uh, illustrative of the of the uh, the different characters at work. Um, of course, uh, you know, when they get to the plane, uh, it's a big kick to see Greg Gunberg playing the pilot. As most listeners probably know, uh, he's the childhood friend of J.J. Abrams. He he, uh, at that point, had been in every single J.J. Uh, Abrams thing in one you know, show, movie, et cetera, in one form or, uh, or another. Um, he has the, you know, his voice as a cameo in uh, the Star Trek movie, I think, most recently. That's probably the, the most recent J.J. Um, uh, Abrams project out there. Um, in retrospect, we know, I mean, he really is a dead man, um, especially when... The camera is careful to watch him put the radio down. You know, it's kind of like they're telegraphing. This is not going to be good news for him here. Um, that said, I wonder why it is that the smoke kills him. I mean, now that we know, you know, the smoke monster, the man in black, all that. I mean, certainly, we, you know, the, the smoke monster does a lot of indiscriminate killing. But um, why? Just to scare people? Because he uh, flew the plane here? You know, kind of what, you know, maybe it's just a, a moment of rage. But... Uh, you know, certainly for all the answers that we get from the series, we really don't know why the Man in Black uh, is such a bug to those who come to the island. Um, I, I suppose that's just in his nature, though. And uh, speaking of the fantastic Greg Gunberg as pilot, let's listen to another clip. Six hours in. Our radio went out. No one could see us. We turned back to to land in Fiji. By the time we we hit turbulence, we were a thousand miles off course. They're looking for us in the wrong place. Looking for you in the wrong place? Why? You could probably get multiple seasons out of a show like that. Um... Moving on, uh, the first monster chase that we ever see, it's so absolutely well done, especially when Kate is hiding from it. You know, it's kind of the, the speed and the tension, and then she hides and kind of the, the slowdown. Um, Evangeline Lilly had so very little acting experience before Lost. I think there was a bit part in an ABC TV movie or a miniseries that, that was Stephen, had Stephen King's involvement, but basically that was it for professional TV acting. Um, what she's capable of in that scene is just so absolutely amazing. Um, and then, of course, you know, from that point, 
we see Charlie again, we see Jack, and we start to head to this, uh, the final scene of the show, for which I have a clip, which also, uh, in addition to the dialogue, I want to play to highlight uh, the, musical of, the music of Michael Giacchino, just his, you know, from this first episode, the music is so absolutely wonderful. Um, obviously, you know, we go on to be an, uh, an Oscar winner, and, um, you know, just a, a little hint of all the wonderful music that is to come. So just a fantastic ending to this first episode, the first zinger that we have, you know, the first of many, obviously. It, uh, you know, it really is just such a solid, uh, solid episode, this and its kind of partner, pilot part two. J.J. Um, Abrams won an Emmy for directing this episode, you know, pilot part one, pilot part two. Um, and you can see why, if, if only for uh, this final scene. You know, just such an inventive camera trick when Kate and Charlie find the, the pilot's plastic wings in the puddle. The puddle's kind of moving. Then it comes. You see the reflection of the pilot's body up in the air. Um, and Charlie gives us that line, you know, how does somebody get up there? You know, quite a, quite a question that we'll be answering. Uh, you know, it'll take six seasons to answer. So uh, just an absolutely fantastic episode. Um at this point in the podcast, what I will normally do is uh, kind of have a Lostpedia section. If you haven't been to lostpedia.org, it's the place for all lost uh, information. There's not a ton on this episode, um, kind of trivia-wise, that I haven't covered already. Um, I, I try and look at Lostpedia, you know, after I've done my initial notes on an episode, just because I don't want to be, you know, ripping off their stuff that I haven't uh, remembered or connections I haven't made on my own. Um, as I say, some of the highlights from Lostpedia include uh, that J.J. Abrams won an Emmy for directing this episode. Um, it was also nominated for, uh, for writing. Um, and uh, that's basically it trivia-wise. You know, we see the crash scene remade, uh, or kind of restaged uh, a couple times uh, in, in the season, uh, in, the, in the series. But um, I guess with that, I'll uh, just start to wrap up here. Um, I'd absolutely love to hear back from people, you know, even though Lost has ended, uh, as, uh, as Carlton Cuse recently said, you know, the experience is going to be continuing on and on, so please feel free to join me in this discussion. Um, you can say hi on Twitter at Looking Back Lost. You can email me at Looking Back at Lost, all one word, all spelled out, Looking Back at Lost at gmail.com. If you have an iPhone or an iPod Touch, Feel free to record a message uh, with the voice recorder and to email that as well to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. You can visit the webpage at lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. Last but not least, you can find this and future episodes on iTunes. Just search for Looking Back at Lost or Lost Podcasts. Um, 
And thank you very, very much for listening. It's, uh, it certainly is fun to be talking about Lost again. Um, it was just a huge uh, part of my entertainment and my, my thinking and, uh, uh, and whatnot for six seasons. And um, we have this down and only a, a, another 120-odd episodes to go. So thank you very much and take care. Bye-bye. It's a very, very...